0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Ire, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Turn your Bibles Matthew 23 verse 23. Matthew 23 verse 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. Are you there? Matthew 23, 23. Read together, want to go. Ah, oh, you're reading like you just woke up. Read together, want to go. It says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters. Can you say weightier matters? Yes. Weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. You see, by God's grace, I've had the privilege to train many people." spiritually for many years when it comes to pastoral ministry even though we had several years of fellowship before that pastoral ministry uh, this makes it this makes it eight years right and if you ask me what is the most profound thing you've realized about spiritual growth one of them i'm not maybe not the most one of them would be this There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I know you've heard it before. It's true. It's not mere semantics. It is true. It is one thing to know and it is another to apply. Can I tell you something? You can know a lot and still be a fool. What makes a person a fool is not ignorance. Being a fool is not about ignorance. It's not lack of knowledge. It's lack of judgment. If you find yourself in situations where, though you know you know better, you find yourself doing the wrong things, you're still a fool. And I'm saying that respectfully. Sir, you know. (laughs) Hallelujah. Knowledge is great, wisdom is greater. You can know a lot and still miss the point. Did you hear what I just said? You can know a lot and still miss the point. Let me give you an illustration or a story. There were these passengers who were on board a flight. And as the flight, at mid-flight, the pilot, you know, announced to them, he says that horrible sound you just heard. It's the sound of one of our engines that, that just gave away. But don't worry, we're still going to make it. It's just going to take one hour longer because we're not moving as fast since one engine has given way, But we're still going to make it. And as the flight continues, they hear another horrible sound. The second engine was gone, second out of four. And as the flight continues, they hear a third sound Another engine, the third engine, gave way. And now everybody is screaming. Everybody is screaming and someone who was sleeping wakes up and he asks someone, what's the matter? Why is everybody screaming? He said, because it's gonna take three hours longer for us to get to our destination. (laughs) You all are slow. (laughs) What was the most important thing? That they were going to take three hours or that they might not get there at all the way things were going. (laughs) Guess what? What he said was correct. According to the calculations of the pilot, it was going to take them three hours longer. But the thing is, the flight might not make it at all. So, there was a weightier matter at hand. Do you get what I'm saying? That's an example of... Some of you have friends who always miss the point, who don't get signals. You know, I was somewhere... And I wanted to get my friend in, in the university not to say something. So I was whispering to him and giving him, I, you know, come on now. Everybody who grew up in Lagos knows those signals now. And as I was signaling, he said, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> I said, get out. <laughs> Some people just don't get it. And I'm saying this respectfully. A lot of Christians are like that. They don't get the point. Some of you have been in church for decades and you still don't understand what this is about. What do you think you're here for? There are so many churches in Lekki. Why another one? What are we doing here? I tell you most assuredly, you can have a lot of knowledge, be in church. For such a long time and still miss the point. And that's what God wants to correct. This service will reveal to you God's plan for your life, God's purpose, why exactly you're on earth. And maybe you have been, you know, just a lackadaisical Christian, and you found yourself here. I congratulate you. <laughs> God has trapped you. This is a burning bush experience. Your life will never be the same again. First of all, he's going to change your shoes. I hope you're wearing good shoes. Take off your shoes, The Place your stand on his holy ground. I'm playing. That's just a joke. But do you know that in the Bible, spiritual people wore good shoes? John the Baptist says, even his shoes and his latchets, I'm not worthy to. I'm joking. No. Someone's writing it down let me give you one one more since you're writing how beautiful are the feats of (laughs) I play too much (laughs) hallelujah but if you observe the earthly ministry of Jesus you will see that this was one of the major things he was helping the Jews realize these people were so devoted so devoted but they had little or no purpose little purpose great devotion they missed the point all the time and that text I started with is an example. He says, you know, you are you, you are giving the most commitment to the things that matter the least. There are weightier matters. You can't be so committed in your giving, coming to church, being in a service unit, and you have no mercy. You don't seek justice, you have no faith. It's all a waste then. That's what he's saying. I'll give you two more examples. The Bible tells us the story of a good Samaritan. This guy, let me read it to you so that you will understand. There are some important details here. Luke chapter 10 from verse 28. From verse 29, Luke chapter 10. Someone is asking a question. He says, but he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus entered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He must have gone to worship. Jerusalem had the only temple in the world at the time. And that was the only place on earth where the Shekinah was. Because of the Ark of the Covenant. Now that has changed, by the way. Uh, So, uh, Just in case you you know. where, Where is Shekinah? Point at it. Oh, oh, you point. Yeah, that's, that's right. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. So he must have gone to worship. So the Bible tells us categorically that he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell amongst thieves who stripped him off his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. The Bible says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. The priest also... Just imagine, they were likely coming from the same service. The priest preached. The priest was in charge of helping that guy offer his sacrifice. So the guy must have come with a lamb for sacrifice. The priest slaughtered that lamb and felt that's all there is to spiritual devotion. Oh, he slaughtered the lamb, every other thing. And on his way back, he sees a church member. Just imagine put yourself for a moment in the shoes of that guy, like you're hoping, I hope someone will pass and help me. Then of all people, the church leader is coming. You're like, ah, praise God. Praise God. My pastor is coming. He's going to help me. And guess what happens? The Bible says, the pastor saw him, not pastor, the priest. I just said that. No, the priest saw him, Took another another route, avoided him as much as he could, and he was there, hopeless, helpless. Moments later, someone else is passing. He looks closely, and then he says, "It's eleven. He's happy again." Church folks, they're going to help. And the does the same thing. He might have a good reason. Oh, I'm rushing to go and meet up to my church duties. I have sacrifices to render. Service to render. But at the expense of what? That's what I'm saying. Listen, Jesus gave another example. In Matthew chapter 5, and you will see how both are related. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 23... He says this, he says, therefore, if you bring a gift to the altar, and there you remember that someone has ought against you, he says, leave the gift. This is Jesus talking, as important as spiritual devotion is, he's talking about weightier matters. Some things are more urgent. He says, leave the gift before that altar. Go first and make peace with that person, and then come and give that gift. So you see, devotion is not for devotion's sake. Knowledge is not for knowledge's sake. There are weightier matters. And that's where the wisdom comes in. Do you get what I'm saying here? So if you might even be rushing to the temple, you wanted to quickly get something and get back. Okay, people are waiting for you. If the man of God doesn't preach, oh, it's not going to be nice. Hey, fellow, someone is at the point of death. So, you can be so religious that you are missing out common sense, you don't even realize it. And so, now Jesus told this story on purpose. If you were a Jew at that time, I mean, that story will make you uncomfortable. What do you mean? A priest saw him and didn't help. A Levite saw him and didn't help. And a Samaritan, do you know who Samaritans were? The more or less Gentiles. Samaritan saw him and he helped. What are you trying to say? He said what he said. At that time, historically, there were about twelve thousand religious leaders in Judea. So that was a direct sub. Guys, you all are missing the point. You pay tithe and all of that. He says, you have done well, but you shouldn't have neglected weightier matters. Faith is most important when it comes to the law. Mercy and justice. Listen, if you miss out those three cardinal points, no matter what you obey, no matter how many boxes you tick, you still get zero. It's just like waek you score A1 in Yoruba, A1 in geography, and then F9 in mathematics. You're going to have to write the whole thing again. Isn't that true? There are some subjects that you must pass. Otherwise, you got zero. There was an exam I wrote, civil engineering exam. One question, 100 marks. True life story. Just, just miss the first formula, miss it. Are coming back. <laughs> Hallelujah. So now something else happened. There's a story in Luke chapter eighteen. Before I get to that, turn your Bibles to Bible is Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-six. The two stories are one anyway. Matthew twenty-two, verse thirty-six. Pay attention to this. If you've not understood all that I've been saying thus far. You're going to get it now. Someone came to Jesus with a question. In verse 36 he says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And this is the problem with men. Two mysteries. Like, what is the key? You know, that one thing that I must do. And all of that. What we, you already have the commandment you want to know the greatest. What, have you seen people who are always trying to Rationalize things, and there, there might be a context to it if, if you're doing it the proper way. And he must have had a perspective. Oh, when you look at the Ten Commandments, which one is the greatest mystery? Thou shall not kill. After all, now who dear life, fear obey commandment, you, or something like that. <laughs> or, um, thou shall not covet your neighbor's property. <laughs> how can you be married, be looking at another person's wife, or something like that? Who, what, which is the deepest mystery. So, they probably have the Ten Commandments in mind. And guess what Jesus' response was? <laughs> he says, this is the first of the great commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You know, and you're looking through the list. Ah, it's not there, is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus, where is Jesus reading from? And then in verse 40 you get the point of the whole thing. Pay attention to this. Verse 40. He says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So where they were concerned about the commandments, Jesus was concerned about the purpose of the commandments, the essence. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You have to understand the point. Do you get what I'm saying? Because you can be ticking the boxes in obeying the commandments if you miss the essence, you've missed everything. On these two hangs all the law. And you know the interesting thing? If you look at the Ten Commandments, how many of you know it by heart? I don't tie that. Anyway, so, don't worry, I'm joking. At least I will get nine. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'll get, all, oh, maybe. All right. Now, I'll, I'll watch the sermon where Joseph Prince said he doesn't know it too. so. <laughs> so, I'll learn it after the sermon. Anyways, but one thing you will notice is this. And this is the point. You might, you might say, Pastor, you don't know it. I know all of them by heart. And maybe I understand it better than you by this same principle. If you look at the five first, the first five commandments, they are summarized in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It, it, they concern love for God. You shall have no other God besides me. If you look at all of them. And then the last five are concerned with love for your neighbors. And so instead of memorizing the whole thing, the point is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you love your neighbor, you won't kill. Isn't that obvious? And so Jesus moved their attention from duty to purpose. Oh, what do I obey? What box do I tick? How do I, you know, what is the new rule? Is there any other thing? And so there was this guy, a young entrepreneur. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus, so he was young, he had money, and he was in politics. What a combination. But he wasn't um, against social media bill. But, 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 so the Bible says in Luke chapter 18, <laughs> the Bible says in Luke chapter 18, from verse 18, that a young rich, I don't know why you're laughing. He came to Jesus. And he asked a question. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Pay attention. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witnesses. Honor your father and mother. You know, the commandments. And he said, all this I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack. This is what I've been telling you. You can keep all the commandments and still be lacking something. Are you getting what I'm saying? One thing you lack. Oh, goodness. And what is interesting is, he didn't even tell him the one thing he lacked. He just told him two things he can do about it. And the first, (laughs) he said, sell all you have and give arms. How many of you have struggled with that instruction that ah Jesus Yousse? You know, raise your hand a little, even just a little. Even if, uh, some of you are so spiritual, you're like, why? Well, of course I'll sell it all. You, he's waving like I've been wanting to know. Why would you ask a young entrepreneur to sell all he has? Why? Why? Maybe for you, it's one of those texts, you just let it go because it's Jesus. You don't want to think about it too much. But you can guess what? The problem is not what Jesus asked him to do. The problem is how you view Jesus. Because let's change the scenarios a little. If you were a young entrepreneur who came to Dangote, and you said, Dangote, I want to be like you. What do I do? And you said, oh, what business are you doing? Sell everything, give it out, and follow me. What are you going to do? You say, Sir, if I go and sell everything, it will waste time. As you're going, let me just follow you. By the time three days and one week pass, and my shop does not open, they will understand that I've moved then the looters will loot it and will move on from there. I don't need to give arms. People know where palliatives are these days. <laughs> you, you get the point? So the reason why you read that story and you're like, why would Jesus say that? It's because of how you view Jesus. And it's sad that I have to say this as if it's not obvious enough. Jesus is greater than Dangote. And whatever you would have to sacrifice to follow him, he would still be worth it. You have to understand this. And that was what that guy was missing out. Like many of you, your view of church is simply this. I come to church regularly. I give when I have to give. I go to work. I read my devotional in the morning. And I try to exempt myself from any bad thing people are doing. I'm living the Christian life. And God has the audacity to tell you, that's not enough. You need to understand, I I have a deeper assignment for you. Something more radical. Just in case you don't know already. The title of my sermon is Radical Together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And like that rich young ruler, you can be ticking all the boxes. And he's saying, yeah, you are obedient. But do you love me more than anything in the world? One of our mission statements as a church is to emphasize the surpassing delight in Christ above all things. That it is not enough to follow him. You must love him above all things. Not just to tick the boxes like that rich young ruler. But that if everything you have has to go, he will still be worth it. I knew there was a problem and I'm going to talk about it this month. I knew there was a problem when there was a small trial. It's not a small trial, it's a big problem anyway. Not too far from here, people stood in front of the target in solidarity and you, you know what happened even forget all the ghost lighting, it happened. Are you with me? Yes. Uh-huh. Just in case you're wondering. You know. And people were asking, where was God? And with due respect to that occurrence, if anything happens that makes you wonder, or second guess, you know, So I saw someone did a post, not a member of our church, he said, I I no longer know if I believe in God because how can all these things be happening? And I'm like, oh dear, what have you been listening listening to? What have you been learning? Do you realize that virtually every single apostle, all save one, were killed for this message and they were not discouraged? They didn't feel like God had failed them. In fact, they took the sacrifice with joy. Are you getting what I'm saying? So young rich ruler, I know you take all the boxes, but when it all comes down to me, have you, uh, comes down to it, have you learned to see me as more valuable than everything you have? And so that man turns his back on Jesus, literally. Think about it. He measured it. Jesus money, Jesus money. I beg you. Turn this back and walk it. Turn your Bibles, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. Are you here? Every time the Word of God is taught accurately, that's God talking to you. This is not just a normal service. I didn't come to preach good. God is about to make a demand. He's about to place a demand on you. And it doesn't matter you know, your previous spiritual experience, receive the Word of God with meekness. Second Corinthians 5:15. It's your, it's your Bible open. Read together, one, two, go. Hallelujah. Oh boy, When you get this, then you're finally getting the point. This is deeper than, oh, I belong to a service unit. Oh, I came for the anniversary service and I'm glad you're here. But God wants better. You feel like a good Christian when you have a plan for your life and you trust God to bless it. Oh, this is what I want to do in my life. I'm trusting God. Father, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Help me. Bless me. Bless me, but there is a difference between doing what God is blessing and asking God to bless what you're doing. There is a difference. When it comes to consecration, it is doing what God is blessing. There's a big difference. Second Corinthians 5:15, and that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Can I tell you something? A lot of people know John 3:16 and they celebrate it. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, God loves me so much he died for me. You sing about it. You cry about it. But there is an implication. I dare say, it, it seems to me like 2 Corinthians 5.15 is a continuation. No wonder it starts with End. Some of you, your revelation stops at John three sixteen. For God so of the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, I believe He died for me. Continuation, and that He died for all. That there's a there's there's an implication, a responsibility. John three sixteen bestows on you a responsibility. It says that the, those who live should not henceforth live unto themselves. It is only those who live for Jesus that truly believe that Jesus died for them. You cannot possibly believe and embrace the fact that someone died for you and not live like it. If you believe he died for you, you will live for him. No other way to live. Do you really believe that the existence you have was bequeathed you by the sacrifice of another person? Ah, it's going to change your life. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So there there has to be an henceforth moment in your life. A moment of consecration. A moment of divine realization. He died for me, therefore. Henceforth, I must live for him. Many people don't understand. It is one thing, you know, the popular Christian ideology is, Oh, um, what am I going to do? God wants me rich, saying this respectfully. So, um, I want to travel. There are more opportunities there. God bless me, God bless me, God bless me. That's my prayer point in church. I'm trusting God. You're speaking in tongues about it. I'm spiritual about it and all of that. That's an ideology. But you see, in describing the Christian devotion, a metaphor of marriage was used, for instance. Are you aware that the Bible calls us the bride of Christ? Are you aware? Now just imagine that as a married man or married woman with responsibilities, you just go on the internet and you start applying for masters. And your spouse does not know about it. And then you get admission. And then you want to just say, uh-huh, honey, I forgot to tell you. You have kids, oh I I forgot to tell you. I applied, I have admission. Will you be free tomorrow? You need to drop me at the airport. I'm going. I said, how long will you be away? I say four years. N- now you're laughing. It makes no sense. But that's what some of us are doing as it pertains to our devotion with the Lord. You think you can just rise up? Listen, if you think you can just rise up and do anything with your life, some people even think we are extra religious when you say, Oh, I have this plan, and we ask you if you've prayed about it. Subconsciously like here they go again. You don't get it. You don't understand what this is about. He died for you. Henceforth, those who live will no longer live unto themselves. Do you know what it means not to live unto yourself? Not to live unto yourself, that of your own will, your own single choice, you cannot just decide, oh, this is what I will do in my life. Your life is no longer yours. Do you understand what the Bible means when it says you were bought with a price? You are the possession of someone else. That henceforth, those who live should not live unto themselves. If you don't understand what it means not to live unto yourself, you don't get why you're here. I'm happy that once in a while you give a tenth of your income. He owns the whole thing. I'm happy that once in a while you give him your time. And you are in the chairs in church. He owns your entire life. Understand this. So like that rich young ruler, you may tick the boxes, but he wants it all. He deserves it. He's worthy. Listen, he's worth it. And this is all the chance you have when you see him you realize he was more and he is more valuable than every other thing you pursued in your life. Far more valuable. But the difference is, at that time, you will no longer have the opportunity to demonstrate your love for him. You might look for all eternity and say, I love you, I love you. Well, if you're going to prove it, now is the time. This is all you've got. Did you hear what I just said? This is all you've got. This lifetime is all you've got. You need to know who you are. Who God has called you to be is different from the general perception of Christianity. There's a difference between what is popular and what is true. Maybe you've been in church all your life and you're just hearing a sermon like this before for the first time. It makes no difference. This is the truth. So the difference between popular culture the truth of God's word. For instance, in the Bible, they observed the people of the way, the people who put their faith in Jesus, and then they called them Christians. The word Christian is not a revelation in Christ. It's an observation by the heathen. You have to understand this. They observed their way of life and called them followers of Christ. Do you know we are deeper than followers of Christ? Christ did not have to die to make us followers. He didn't have to die for that. It's not to follow. Okay, follow your hairstyle, you know, the, the way you walk. We even mimic your voice. No big deal. Dressed like you. In his early ministry, he had disciples already. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are something deeper than a follower. You need to understand this. There is an ordinance. That describes the supernatural reality that you have in Christ. It is called baptism. It is called baptism. The Bible says those who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have to understand there's a difference between following someone and being in someone. The world says we are followers of Christ, God says we are in Christ. There's a difference. We are not followers of Christ. We are in Christ. The Bible says, in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's a difference. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Crucified with. Crucified. So, in the eyes of the observer, they saw only Jesus on that cross with two thieves on his side. But in the eyes of God, he saw all of us in him. He says, we are crucified. Are you getting this? He crucified, crucified. The nails were driven through our wrist also. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's, that's now, it's a worldview. Are you getting this? A worldview. That now my life, my ambition in life is to live out The ambitions of Christ. What is my purpose? His purpose. What is my goal? His goal. What is my assignment? His assignment. Uh, That's it. That's it. That's it. That's what he has called you to be. In the entire Bible, the believers were called Christian only twice. There were so many other things, so many other metaphors that were used. He is the vine, we are the branches. They were called people of the way. People of the way. So many metaphors were used. I've used the metaphor of bride. We're called brides. All those metaphors are deeper. And then the most popular metaphor that was used to describe Christians is not popular today. You hardly ever hear it. Christians appears twice in the entire Bible. But this one appears 124 times. And yet people don't use it. And you won't understand who God has called you to be until you understand this word. And the word is controversial, so I'm going to have to explain it to you. The word is slave. Did you hear me? 124 times in the Bible you were called slaves. How come I've never seen it before? Because for some reason, which I will explain... It was translated servant. It's not servant. There are at least three other Greek words that are the transliteration of the word servant, Slave, the Greek word doulos. And first I have to explain, you know, because, you know, we are too Western in our thinking. And there are some things that God would ask us to do we struggle with. And we struggle with them because we don't know who God is. God is not your boss in the office who won't lift a finger to help but will just be criticizing everything you do. And forgive me if both boss and staff are in this church. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now illustration, illustration. Hallelujah. But you have a God who has led by example. And so when, for instance, in marriage, he says, women... Submit to your husband. You know, from the natural standpoint, why should women submit? But think about who is asking you to do it. From the natural standpoint, from the human standpoint, submission is subjugation, but not in our kingdom. You know, Jesus told the disciples, he says, the Gentiles, this is their perspective of leadership, they lord it over their disciples or over their people. He says, but not you. He says, he that will be great in our kingdom, he must be the servant. Are you getting this? So, in the world, submission is subjugation. In our kingdom, submission is greatness. Pay attention. And, no, you know, these things are easier said than done, I know. But he led by example. One day, he brought out a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples. Think about that. You don't walk dusty roads. Some of you came in vehicles. Yet it would seem a little derogatory if you came to church and I said, get a basin, wash everybody's feet. (laughs) Especially the sneaker gangs, you know. it's not. You know. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesus did that. Not only that, Peter wanted to resist. He said, "Ah, what is this? Why would I sit down and you wash my feet? And Jesus said something to him. He said, if you don't allow me Wash your feet. You have no part in me. So not only did Jesus serve, service is so crucial to our faith that the only way to partake of the redemptive work of Christ is to receive the service of Christ. That he saved us. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God in essence. But yet... He humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. He walked on the face of the earth. Listen, the Bible says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It says, Let this mind be in you. So, when God, who has saved us all, asks you to save, if he saved us, why wouldn't I? Do you get what I'm saying? And the same thing applies to slavery. You see how sold out he was to the plan of God. And there's a perspective we have. We just look at that and we say, oh, yeah, it was Jesus. It makes sense that he'll be that committed. For me, I'm not Jesus. (laughs) It's very interesting how we vacillate from those ideas. When it comes to Christian identification and righteousness, we are in Christ. When it comes to responsibility, ah, uh, uh, Christ, no. you know, <laughs> you see what many people do? There has to be a difference. Why is it that doulos was translated servant? It's because there is a general idea, controversial idea when you think about slavery. Something else comes to your mind. You don't think about neo grecian slavery, you think about the Western slavery, the things that happened, the things that US and other nations did to the blacks. Right? How they came here. And by the way, I'm just curious, I keep wondering if it is true that they came here and they took the strongest and the smartest. How come they left your dad? I just playing. don't don't think about it. Just, 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 just. <laughs> I'm just don't just wonder. <laughs> <laughs> just want, <one tree. laughs> you. just want, just want. I just playing. <clears throat> Can we move on? Do you forgive me? I will just play. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but but I said all of that to say this. Now that's what comes to mind. <laughs> you think of us and all those other countries, but but, but Bible. The slavery talked about in the Bible is very different. What are the marks of modern day slavery? First of all, um, it, was always, it, it always started with kidnapping. They would come here forcefully take people, right? And then secondly, uh, it was based on racial discrimination. They tried to act as though um, people of a different skin color were less than human. It was based on racial discrimination. Um, and then women were raped and all of that, taken from their spouses, raped forcefully or espoused forcefully. So many things. Slaves were held in shackles and overworked. Slaves were treated less than human. And slaves who tried to escape were killed. But in the Bible, you see that this is totally different. Turn your Bibles, Exodus 21, verse 16. Now, this will help some of you who have wondered. You know, some people even say the Bible supports slavery. No! And that's why you need to be a student of the word. Amen? Exodus twenty-one sixteen. You know what it says? It says, he that stealeth a man. That's kidnapping. He that stealeth a man and selleth him. Or if he be found in his hand, he must surely be put to death. It carried a death penalty in the Bible. To kidnap someone and sell him off, it carried a death penalty. Not only stealing and selling. If they find, maybe you are the one who bought. You didn't steal, but you bought. Or they found him in your custody. Same penalty. So the Bible was not not just... Did the Bible not support it? The Bible was strongly against it. You have to understand, most of the abolitionists were Christians. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. What about racial discrimination? What does the Bible say? Leviticus 19.33. Leviticus, this is besides the point, so we have to move fast. Are you learning anything? Thank you, Jesus. Leviticus 19.33 It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the strangers who sojourn with you as a native from you. Are you saying this? You shall treat the strangers who sojourn as a native from you. And you shall love him as you love yourself. It says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, you were strangers in Egypt. The Egyptians treated you wrongly. I stepped in to save you. Don't fall into the same mistake. This is so powerful and so important. I can go on and on. Deuteronomy 22, verse 25, on rape. Deuteronomy 22, verse 25, it says, But if in the open country a man meet a woman who is betrayed, who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who shall lay with her shall die. He he must... It carried the death penalty, and you're wondering what's happening. Because in the Bible days, there was no difference between faith and state. They practiced a theocratic system. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there was was a court ruling with the Bible as the constitution. And that's why. And things are different today anyway. Hallelujah. And I can go on and on. So how then did slavery happen in the Bible? Two major things. Two major things. There are more than two, but I'll, I'll focus on two for now. If you steal and you are caught, if you steal and you are caught, you are going to be put to service. And I think it is arguable that it's a better system of judgment than what we have. Because today you just lock up criminals to waste away in prison, in asylum. But if instead those people are put on a farm and made to work, I'm serious, and made to work, at least they're, they're contributing something. So that was what was done in the Bible. Also, if you owed money and you couldn't pay, you could submit and it was willful, don't forget, Kidnapping was prohibited. So you come, you submit yourself, I'm going to work the money's worth. So um, the word translated slave in the Old Testament, Ebed, was actually apprentice. It was a system of business. And after you had worked, the person you worked for was mandated to release you with goods. With services, you know, to make sure you're comfortable to continue on your own. It wasn't for life. Praise the Lord. Do you also realize that slavery in the Bible, all of this is leading somewhere, somewhere very important. Slavery in the Bible, there were were mandatory holidays for slaves. They were not to walk every day of the week. They were also supposed to keep the Sabbath and rest. Some of you don't even have the luxury of that. Some of you, can you boast of a free day every week? A full free day. (laughs) If I go on and on to talk about slavery in the Bible, you will see that it's better than maybe the average Nigerian citizen. (laughs) But just so that you, you don't get carried away with all this and see slavery as a totally romantic idea, it was still a lot of responsibility. A slave does not wake up in the morning and say, oh, sorry. Uh, This is my schedule for the day. No. What do you mean? You don't say, "Um, help me get this. Ah, you would have told me, sir, yesterday. My day is already planned. What do you mean your day is already planned? (laughs) Hallelujah. The Bible says you were bought with a price. It says, therefore, glorify God with your mortal body, which is God's. Hallelujah. Paul called himself a bond servant. A bond, think about it. Now it's making sense. It was translated servant, but a slave. He says bond. That's the metaphor of chains. Bond servant. I'm indebted to this gospel. I don't have a choice. You see, this is my life. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5.15. Let's do a brief commentary and then we close from there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Read that again. 2 Corinthians 5.15, 1 to go. You see, in Bible interpretation, there is a rule called the context rule. And to summarize it, I'll put it this way, in a way that it is often put. To understand the context of any verse, you must examine the pretext and the posttext. I said that to say this. Many people have a different interpretation of 2 Corinthians 5.17. They think 2 Corinthians 5.17 is talking about salvation. And they are not entirely wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, you all know it. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. The question is, what is he saying is the old thing that is passed away? Was he referring to your old sinful like, The things I used to do? I do them no more. Yeah, those are passed away, but is that what he's talking about? Don't forget verse 15 says, He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So if he says, if any man being Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away. What is passed away? Living for yourself. So he's not talking about salvation or sanctification. He's talking about consecration and ministry. Do you understand what I said? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You can understand new creature as salvation, and that's fine. But he's telling you the implication, the responsibility of a new creature. All things have passed away. He said, behold, all things have become new. And he tells you what it is. He says, all things are of God. In your life, concerning your ambition, your plan for the future. He says, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself in Christ Jesus. He said to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he has given us the word of reconciliation. This will change your life if you understand it. Wow! Meaning, my assignment in life and Christ's assignment in life are the same. Look at it. God was in Christ. First of all, where is God now? In you, right? So understand the comparison. God was in Christ to provide reconciliation. Now he is in you to announce reconciliation. It is the same assignment. In You continue where Christ stopped. In him was the provision, in you is the announcement. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling. He has committed to us the word, the message of reconciliation. Look at the next verse, verse 20. Now then, this is the conclusion. Oh, glory to God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Come on, are you getting this? I'm as responsible for the assignment as Christ. Now, and then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives. The continuation of his ministry, the extension of his influence. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. So, this is a worldview. As it pertains to our association with people. Every time I I am brought into a position of influence in someone's life, that is God's opportunity to reach the person. It says, God does beseech you by us. This is why I'm telling you we are deeper than just followers of Christ. It says, God is beseeching by us. In us to beseech. He said, we pray you in Christ's stead. So, you see, we are not followers. We are in Christ's stead. There's a difference. We stand where he stood. We do what he did. We do his bidding. That's the purpose of our lives. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Your life is in Christ's stead. If he's going to reach your world, he can only reach the world through you. That's why he called you his body. You are in control of his hands. You are the one to determine the extent of his influence, the extent of his reach. What are you going to do with your life? Maybe before now, all you wanted to do finish school, get a job, get married, make money, buy your dream car, buy your dream house and die. That's boring. Make your life count. It says what what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul make your life count today he's challenging you not just to look at the cross and believe that christ died for you he's asking you to take up your own cross you have a cross there is a price to pay there is a sacrifice to be made for the sake of your world your world needs the gospel and the gospel is on your lips He has given you a word, a message of reconciliation. Never again say you don't understand, you don't know God's purpose for your life. If you didn't know before today, I just told you. He has given you a word of reconciliation. Say, I have a ministry, I have an assignment, I have a task, a message to spread, a gospel to preach.